Hi there, ambitious friends. I'm your host, Deshina, the Financial Freedom Coach, and I have a quick update that I want to share. My initial goal was to publish this podcast every week. However, as we all know, life is full of twists and turns, and it's crucial to know how to adapt and maintain balance. And as high-achieving women, we tend to take on a lot, sometimes too much, right? And taking on this podcast is one of my ambitious goals. And if you've listened to other episodes, you've heard me discuss with several of my guests that while it is important to go after your ambitious goals, it is also crucial to have balance and not get overwhelmed. And I have to admit that it has been a bit of a challenge for me to keep up with publishing weekly. So for the foreseeable future, instead of trying to meet a self-imposed weekly publishing schedule, you can now look forward to a new episode every other week. And hey, if I'm able to sneak in an additional episode in between every other week, then just think of that as a bonus. Remember, the path to success is not always linear. My goal is to be authentic and as transparent as possible. So that's why I wanted to share this update. However, you can rest assured that I have so many more amazing ladies with unique and extraordinary ambitious goals to share. So stay tuned and thank you for listening to the Women With Ambition, Making Money, Seeking Freedom and Chasing Dreams podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. I already feel very grateful to be able to fit that into a very, very full day, like being able to go to the gym, being able to have amazing conversations and listen to and make podcasts. Those are all like things that I don't take for granted that are wonderful uses in my time. So yeah, sometimes it just um, feels like I'm living it right now. And I'm really grateful for that. I don't want to push it off to tomorrow. I don't want to always be working towards like the someday. I want to be able to enjoy every moment between now and then. And you know, the someday may never come. So you gotta, you gotta have happiness now too. Hey there, friends, and welcome to the Women with Ambition podcast, making money, seeking freedom, and chasing dreams. I'm your host, Deshina Woodard, the financial freedom coach and certified life coach. In this podcast, we talk to high-achieving women who earn good money, yet they still have an ambitious goal they're trying to reach. But here's the thing, they haven't fully accomplished it yet. So these amazing ladies are going to share their firsthand insights about the financial insecurities, the challenges, and the triumphs they face as they take on their ambitious goals. So if you're an ambitious woman with an ambitious goal and you're looking to get past your fears and financial insecurities that are keeping you stuck, then this is the podcast to help you. We're going to give you the tools and inspiration you need to take action and chase your dreams. So let's get started. Okay, so today I'm speaking with Hannah Morgan. With Roots in Social Justice, nonprofit work, Hannah moved into tech as a project and operations manager. She has worked with a large variety of clients from solopreneurs to Fortune 500 companies and specializes in tech, real estate, and the arts. 
Her true passion is helping people design and live the lives they dream of. Hannah believes that excellent project management is a key component to professional and personal success. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm great. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So glad to have you here today. Okay, so before we really dive into your ambitious goal and where you are with that, I think it's good to know a little bit about where you came from. And since I am a financial freedom coach, I want to help women dream bigger and actually believe that they have the power to make those dreams come true. So that's primarily why I started this podcast so that so that women can be inspired by other women like yourself who are actively chasing their dreams. And of course, we all know that money touches nearly every aspect of our life, and it often can affect who we become and the financial decisions we make as adults. So I always like to start by just talking about how we developed our relationship with money, which, as you know, typically begins in childhood. So tell me, Hannah, when you were growing up, what did you learn about money? Well, um, I actually, it's funny. I was um, talking with someone the other day, realizing that I opened my first bank account when I was four. I'm 34 years old now. So my bank was, I guess, a small town bank. It got bought up and bought up. And so I got a call from the bank the other day and they said, you know, they were just, they're trying to make a touch and trying to sell me on something. And they said, hey, so we just want to thank you for banking with us for 30 years. The woman was like, what? Like, how is that possible? And it's because, you know, my parents took me down to the bank and made me open a savings account when I was four and put money in it. And um, so it was something that I had some exposure to in that regard. But um, I think that I just didn't really have any concept of, um, you know, managing my own money until much later in life. And my mom went on her own journey of learning about financial empowerment. And so that's something that just happened for me more recently. And it is actually predicated by starting a podcast with a girlfriend of mine, where we started digging into what we do and don't know about personal finance. And that journey has been so informative. So I'd say it's been a long journey. Um, And growing up, I think that I didn't really have an understanding of where like my privilege was in the world and like where I sat as far as having privilege. And we didn't talk about money a lot other than to say we didn't have it or we didn't have enough. But now as an adult, I realized that we actually not only had a lot more money than I realized, but had more access to privilege than I was really cognizant of. So that's been an interesting journey. Um, But like we were talking about earlier, scarcity is a difficult mindset to unlearn. And so no matter what the reality is, if you're raised with a mindset of scarcity, it can still impact you even if it's not um, necessarily applicable relative. Yes. Oh, wow. A lot of a lot of good things in there. Okay, so you open an account at four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that must be that must have been interesting to hear that you've had an account for thirty years and you're yeah. only thirty four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I've always been a worker. I've always been a saver. I've never been a big spender. It's just like not who I am and how I operate. Um, and so I actually was, you know, thinking about it. I think that if I had been more clear about what my financial goals were. I might, maybe I'd be retired by now. Like, honestly, like if I had started investing, like you hear stories about like Warren Buffett starting to invest before he even hit 10 years old, you know? Um, and I think that if I had known how to make more power moves with money, I would be in a really different situation now. But I, what I did know was to work and to work hard and to work a lot and to save money. 
And where that money went, I'm not really sure because I never seemed to spend it. But I was able to move out when I was young and I was able to, you know, live the life that I wanted to at that time um, and be independent financially, you know, self-sufficient. And so I think that's kind of where it went. I think that went through my own journey. Um, but yeah, I've never been a big spender and still I'm not really. Oh, well, that's, that's good. Now, do you feel that, uh, where did you get that from? Do you think? Um, so I think that I, my, I, I don't actually know. That's a really good question. But I think my suspicion is that it came from my grandmother living through the depression and her scarcity mindset, which I think anybody who did live through the depression came out realizing, like my mom always used to say she would never throw away a rubber band. And so I think that that must have just been something that I observed. And that was probably, you know, they say that you inherit tra- trauma um, genetically. And so I think that was both observed and kind of absorbed um, this mindset of scarcity, because once you've been through such a traumatic event like that, there's no way you can ever not worry it's going to happen again. Um, and so I think that was kind of always on my mind, um, not being a big spender. But yeah, I um, don't ever remember really talking about it. That's funny. I never thought about that before. <laughs> well, I know that our money, that we develop money trauma from you know, our experiences as, uh, as children, but hadn't really heard that it could be inherited. So tell me about yeah. that. I, you <laughs> know, I don't know a whole, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I remember, I think I was reading an article a couple of years ago about how you actually trauma impacts your genes in some way that's been traced down to, um, multiple generations. And I don't know more about it specifically than that, but I thought it was a really interesting concept you know, it's kind of like nature versus nurture. Like, did you inherit it because of it was an observation or did you inherit it genetically? My guess is it's both probably more observation, honestly. Um, But I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think it's interesting to think about those things generationally. So I don't know. That is interesting because uh, that is something that I had not actually heard. And now I'm curious. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Could that be, you know, money trauma be uh, inherited and passed on genetically? That is that I think that is a fascinating uh, something to dive into one day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that like money is really just like a proxy for other anxieties and other concerns. And money, I think that people put a lot of emphasis on money because it's something that's something that you can count, you know, something you can quantify. And so a lot of anxiety is, um, feels very kind of ethereal and um, vague. And so if you can attach it to something very specific, that can oftentimes help people like grab onto the concept of where their anxiety is rooted. Um, but it also ties into insecurity, you know, be at, at home and knowing like where your next paycheck is going to come from and if you're going to be hungry, if you're going to be unhoused. And so I think that like money is like a stand-in for so many other issues. Um, and that's just because we live in this capitalist society where, you know, money is equivocated with value, which is like totally a totally other topic, you know, totally different topic, but <laughs> totally related to. That is, that is so true. Uh, money is, I think you're right. A lot of people do uh, equivocate money with value. That is, that is deep and something to really, uh, to think about, you know, uh, for yourself. I do believe that we do take a lot of stock in what we have more so than who we are a lot of Oh my God, totally. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which is so toxic, you know? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Okay. Now, just backing up a little bit, because you mentioned about that privilege, and I want to hear more about that. Tell me about that privilege. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that what I didn't know, you know, I feel like what I was told as a kid is we don't have enough money for that, or we don't have as much money as those people, or we don't have, you know, we, we don't have kind of I don't know, I assume the lifestyle or the security. I'm not really sure what the don't have was with my parents. But then when I look back at on it as an adult, I realized that like the level of privilege that those conversations were coming from was comparing our um, access and what we had to people that were just, you know, we were starting from such a high baseline that that's not really a fair comparison. It feels like a tough comparison to make, but they say that, you know, a lot of people's mindset around money, if they have enough, is very much compared to their peers, to their neighbors, to their friends, to their family. And so I assuming that some of that came from my parents just feeling like they didn't have the same uh, amount of money or the same privilege or the same stuff, I'm not really sure, as their friends. And so I think that that's what I heard, like we don't have enough. And um, I don't know the reality of that, but I do know that as an adult looking back, I'm like, wow, there was really not a lot of scarcity happening at home. It was, it was mental. It was not physical. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I see. So yeah. you actually, because you had everything you needed. Oh yeah. Uh, and then yeah. some like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when I think about like the narrative that I heard that we didn't have enough, I think that that was maybe some product of comparison. Yes, that's something that we have to work on with our money mindset, not comparing yourself to others because, you know, your success and your financial situation uh, doesn't have to match or be the same as someone else else's idea of what success looks like. You know, we absolutely and and that's one thing that I try to uh, get across in my message. And and actually, that's why I became a financial freedom coach, because. Yes, because what I realized, well, on my money journey, (laughs) I realized, you know, uh, I struggled with debt and um, learning how to get a handle on my finances for many years. And once I did finally figure things out, after a lot of trial and error, (laughs) yes, tweaking and failing and trying again, then uh, once I finally figured things out and I had a process that was working well and eventually I became, you know, it was working so well that I, I realized that I could pay everything off and I could be debt free. And I didn't know anybody who was debt free because I, I didn't even know that was a thing or that that existed. Nobody in my yeah. world was debt free. Everybody, you know, they worked and you go to school, you get a good job, you work and then you pay bills. Right. <laughs> and then maybe after 30 years, you'll pay your house off. But um you know, I didn't know anybody who was debt free. So that was interesting to me. So I didn't have anybody to, um, I guess, as an example, or to speak to about it. So when I did become debt free, it was amazing to me, it was, it was liberating, but it was very eye opening, because I realized that I actually had financial freedom. And previously, I thought financial freedom meant meant something completely different. Like, (laughs) You know, like it meant that you had to have uh, millions of dollars in the bank or something like that. But what I realized is that that was the revelation that financial freedom is just being able to have the freedom to do 
the things that you want to do without restrictions and limitations with your money. Yes. So yeah. when you don't owe anybody, suddenly you've got the freedom <laughs> to do yeah. whatever you want to do with your money. And so yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. That was just, that was very eye-opening for me. So just thought I, 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 I don't, I, I, don't remember, I don't remember where I was going with that, but. <laughs> oh my God. It was amazing. It was amazing. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Okay. As you grew up, how did your, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but you, you know, just tell us a little bit more about how your um, childhood experiences impacted the way you handled money as an adult. Like, did you get into any debt or I know you said you're not, you're not a very big spender. So are you very, I mean, do you not spend at all? Do you enjoy things or, you know, just tell, tell me more about that. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, so yeah. So, um, my parents got divorced when I was a uh, young teenager and, um, coming out of that situation was when my mom decided to really take hold of her financial situation and learn all about the things that you learned about and that I've come to learn about, about financial independence and what that looks like for women taking charge of money. And I think that it's probably, you know, somewhat a product of generation and time that she didn't have a lot of transparency or control over her finances and her marriage. And so when that changed, she really dug into that and wholeheartedly dove in and which was very inspiring, of course. Um, And so I kind of heard all these things like, oh, the average credit card debt of a family is $10,000 and you shouldn't spend money you don't have. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And like I said, I worked and, you know, I traveled, but I always saved money. You know, at one point I was putting half my check in a savings account, my paycheck, because I didn't have dependents. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have school debt. You know, I had a lot of privilege going into it. And so to be able to like take charge of that from such a young age, but also have this mindset of, basically just don't spend what you don't have. That was huge. I think that was really impactful. Um, And so I think the question of like, do you spend money? Do you enjoy it? I remember actually talking with my aunt. She was um, telling me about some trip she went on or something. I don't remember. And I was like, Hillary, how do you do it? Like, how do you just spend money? Like that just, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it just, I was much younger, but I still, I couldn't fathom the concept of spending money on like a really big trip or a really nice car or anything like that. And she was like, you just do it. And I was like, what? No. You know, it's just, it's just, it gives me, I don't want to say anxiety, but it's just like, it's not like what makes me excited. It like the having of the things and the buying of the things. Um, and my husband says that like, I'm going to drive myself crazy with this, but um, I found this um, compound interest calculator once, which is a very dangerous tool if you know about these. Um, and you can plug in basically like what your, what your projected return on the market's going to be. And, you know, conservative estimates, like about 8%. I think it might be, I think 8% is average over the course of the history of the stock market. Maybe it's closer to 10. Most estimates say between like 8 and 12% is your, your long-term return on the stock market. So it ebbs and flows. So as kind of a joke, um, I was talking with a friend of mine about, you know, the latte factor. And they say, like, you shouldn't buy the latte because, you know, you save that money. But it's really a balance. You need to be able to buy some lattes. You need to be able to enjoy your life, too. So I was like, okay, well, what would happen if instead of, like, my husband and I going out to a nice dinner downtown, having a date night and spending, like, $80? Like, what would happen if we put that in the market? What would it be worth in 30 years? And as soon as I saw that number, I was like, I am never going to spend a dime again because every time I spend a dollar I can 
think like, oh my God, this is what it's going to be worth in 30 years. This is what I could have done with it. That's kind of where the scarcity mindset comes in is like, you have to balance that out with enjoying your life today. You know, you've got to go out to dinner sometimes. Um, But yeah, I do fall into that trap of like, don't spend any money now because it'll be worth so much later. So like, for example, like we pay like crazy, what I consider crazy high premiums for our health insurance so that we can have a high deductible plan that's HSA eligible so that we can put that money in an HSA because it's going to be so much more valuable by investing it and waiting to pull it out tax-free when we need it, when we're older and we have more medical expenses. And so we do these like crazy backflips thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I, through this fundraiser recently, um, for a local organization that I'm really passionate about and, um, and we talked about like having it out at a bar and people could come and bring drinks and then we would raise money and they were like, no, 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 instead of spending money on drinks one night out, you know, you're going to go out with your friends. You're going to spend like what? $40 plus tip. You're going to have two glasses of wine or three, depending on where you are, maybe some dinner, Whatever it was you're going to spend, put it towards something that you really care about and think about spending that money intentionally. And for us, that meant we're going to supply $5 wine from Trader Joe's. Everyone's going to have a good time. They don't care about the wine. And we're going to put that money towards a cause that we really care about. So it's like being intentional with your money and being intentional with how you spend it so that you can spend it in a way that's really important to you and that you really get to reap the benefit of and see the difference of. Because usually you buy that thing and it's just has a kind of depreciating value to it. It's something that you don't really appreciate or notice as much every day. And so I think just being really intentional with how you spend that money, definitely a balance that you don't want to go too overboard with thinking, what could I have done if I didn't spend that dollar? Yeah, you can go to an extreme <laughs> with, um, you know, being intentional. I mean, intentional is good. And that's definitely important for people who are uh, struggling or who are, you know, in debt or, you know, if you're saving for something, you know, investing, whatever. But, you know, we also definitely, like you mentioned the word balance, there definitely has to be a balance. We, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know, I'm sure you know about Ramit Sethi, right? No, tell me about it. Oh, Ramit. Uh, he's a personal finance kind of guru like guy. He wrote the book, I will teach you to be rich. And oh, he, be- yeah. okay. Yes. And he believes in, um, everybody should have be trying to live their rich life, you yeah. know? Uh, so you, you do the things that you love, you spend on that, but you do it intentionally. You, you're conscious yeah. about uh, spending on the things that you love and then you cut out everything else. You know, you don't exactly. need everything, you know, yeah. you do the things that you value the most. So like me, I value experiences over luxury cars. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I drive a nice Nissan SUV. Uh, it looks fabulous. It's comfortable. I love that car. It's a hundred percent paid for. And I'm good with that. You know, uh, I've done the luxury car thing. I've been down that, that yeah. path. And that's just, and that's just wasn't, it, that's just not what's important to me. I'd yeah. much rather spend the money on a family vacation, you know, somewhere yeah. in some exotic destination, you know? So it's about having that balance. And, you know, you were mentioning like the latte factor. It's like, I guess it really depends on the person, you know, everybody, everybody's rich life, as Ramit would put it, is different. So, I mean, if, say, for instance, if someone loves watching, you know, a lot of times there was uh, one, uh, there was this thing where you always have to not have 
you know, cut the cable when you're trying to cut expenses. Oh, look how much money you're, you're wasting on cable TV and gym membership yeah. and all of those things. But if you're a workout fanatic and that's all you love, or if you're yeah. a TV, you know, junkie, and that's the, the thing that brings you joy, then it yeah. may not be, you may cutting the cable might not be the right choice for you. That may be the right choice for someone who barely watches TV and is just right. paying for something they don't need. So yeah, it's, it's a, and, and when it comes back to the lattes, you know, if, if you, you can look at it from the perspective of, yes, every $5 you spend on a latte in 30 years, wow, you could have earned that. But if lattes bring you joy, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly, then cut yeah. something else. And that's something Maybe that... you cut the cable uh, instead of the lattes, you know, so that I just want, I just like for people to think of it from that perspective, you pick the thing, yeah, definitely. you know, I, I get what you're saying, but it's like, Everybody should make cuts in areas that, so that they don't end up being wasteful, but, you know, spend on the things that you love. You don't have to be restricted. That's what money is for, right? I mean, that's the whole point of it (laughs) to enjoy your life, you know? So I think there's, I think there's like two main philosophies I think of when I'm spending money. And like one is I want to reduce waste and I want to reduce my impact as much as I can. And so for me, that means like I try to buy as much as I can used. I try to buy everything on Facebook Marketplace or at a thrift store. Um, And that doesn't always work out, but that's my goal. And I use buy nothing groups a lot. Like I have two young kids and like I have spent like a few hundred dollars maybe on stuff for my kids, like their cribs, like their clothes, everything. Like the only things I bought have been like pacifiers and formula and diapers basically. And we cloth diaper. So like I didn't have to buy most of those, but Um, so, you know, thinking about reducing my waste and that's really important to me because I think about not only am I going to be responsible for something if I buy it new, but no matter what it is, I'm going to be responsible for its next part of its journey. Like whatever physical item it is, I feel like it's my duty to make sure that it does not go to the landfill. And anytime I buy something new, I don't want to buy something I'm going to have to return because a lot of times stuff that you return ends up in the landfill too. So I try to be really intentional about waste. And then the other things about time. So, you know, I have two young kids. I'm trying to help my husband retire soon. And for me to retire soon as well, I'll trade my money for is my time. And so I want to have more time with my family. I want to have more time to do amazing things. And like, I don't need to go on a luxurious vacation, but, um, you know, like a camping trip or whatever, that's time. That's value to me. And so the trade-off is that sometimes like, I, I like... I joke that like I have a manifestation list. Like if I have like certain household items that we need, I'll like put it kind of in the back of my mind. I'll be like, okay, I need these things, but they're not urgent. But every once in a while, I'll be like, you know what? Instead of spending all this time hunting for this very specific thing, I'm just going to buy it new. And that's how I get my time back. But then I, you know, make sure that it doesn't go into the landfill after I use it. So it's a balance, time and waste. Those are my two driving factors, I think. Well, the, those are two very important because first of all, time is a precious resource that you can never get back. So anytime yep. you money is a an awesome way to, you know, the more money you have, that's an awesome way to buy back your time and, you know, give back. You know I mean, because every time you spend, you're, you're helping somebody somewhere, right? With something, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. and, and then being environmentally conscious that is awesome. You you uh, are definitely on the same level at, as my daughter. She's very socially, environmentally uh, uh, conscious. She's part of the um, EA that's effective altruism. She's she even started started an org- organization, um, and she's very and very active participant in that because it's like doing the most good for the planet. 
So nice, nice. Very good and very big into that. So yeah, I get it. That's awesome. Okay. So tell us about uh, what you do. Yeah. So I run a project management agency called um, Heron Works, and we provide contracted project managers to agencies that need just a little bit of help here and there. So um, whether it's people who need a project manager for just one project, or if they need a project manager just part-time, that's what our agency does. So we do um, you know, work with a ton of agencies in different industries, but our specialties are really tech and um, digital marketing and um, the arts and real estate, because those are the things that I'm really interested in and passionate about. So um, those are the fields that I like to work in. And I started out as a contract project manager myself. And then um, I started my agency because my clients were asking for more of my time than I physically had in a day. So I realized there was a real demand for high quality project managers. And that's why I started my agency. And so I actually... um, I've had so many amazing interactions with my clients and with my team through this experience. But what really drives me through this agency is to be able to help people facilitate the life that they want to live. And so I had a meeting with one of my contractors today and I said, how is this work helping you live your best life? And what can we do to support that even more? And um, she mentioned that she appreciated having the flexibility to be able to work whenever she needed to so that she could be more involved with her family and like helping her brother out who just had a second baby. And she mentioned being able to work remotely so that she could actually move in with her brother and she could go travel and go on vacation and do all kinds of different things, but be able to log in and work whenever, you know, obviously she took time off for her vacation, but being able to work from wherever, um, that gave her flexibility that she really values. And so that makes me so happy. Um, and that's what I want to be facilitating because our life shouldn't be all about work and it really shouldn't be very much about work, honestly. Um, but if we have work in our life, then it should be something that is a positive improvement to our lives and the people around us. And so I really love doing that for my contractors and helping them design the life that is the most joyful for them and helping them achieve their own goals through working with my agency. So that's been really fun. And then on the flip side of it, um, you know, working with my clients, a lot of times I work with agencies that are starting to scale. They need help, but they can't bring somebody on full time or they need somebody just for one project. And just today I was talking with a client who told me that she's pregnant. She runs her own agency. It's a very small team and she's the CEO and the founder of this marketing agency. And um, she was so thrilled to have such an amazing contractor in place that she knew she'd be able to take parental leave when her baby was due. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, it almost made me cry. Just this is the stuff that, you know, our dreams are made of to be able to help people facilitate having time with their baby, having time with their family, having time traveling, you know, that's what we want to do um, through this agency. And that's been extremely rewarding. That's part of, of what I do. I love that. That is awesome. I mean, well, I mean, to, that is a great um, idea. And agency because even as a mom myself, that has always been one of my driving forces, uh, you know, is to have that flexibility for my family, yeah. because I actually by trade am a registered nurse. And I worked for many years. As, as a matter of fact, most of the years while my kids were growing up, I always stayed flexible. I never worked full time. I would work what they call like supplemental because that way I had, I always felt like I had more control over my life and it gave me yeah. more balance because I can just call in or, or I can choose which days I wanted to work, you know? 
If I wanted to work um, one or two days a week, I could. If I needed a little more money that that week or that month, I could. Yeah. Or if I needed less. And, you know, so that was one of the things that really kept me from going full time because I really wanted that flexibility. And it's awesome that you're you're you have an agency where you're offering moms and uh, do you work with all people, women or men, everybody, anybody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I work I work with anybody. Um, we are not gender specific. I happen to have a team that's all female right now, um, but I've had some male clients in the past. And, you know, I just, I like to work with clients for whom I feel like there's a really good fit, but also that there's a really good ad. What can we bring to the table that maybe their team doesn't have right now? What skill set, what mindset, what um, historical background, what perspective, what uh, experiences can our team bring that the client doesn't necessarily have now? And I think that that's been a good guiding light. It's been um, helpful so that we don't fall into the trap of just saying like, oh, I need somebody who can be a second me, or I need somebody who can fill in for me and do things exactly the way I would want to. And obviously, it'd be great if we all had a clone of ourselves. But people also are their own individual unique selves, they need to bring their own experiences and values and personality to the table. And so um, yeah, fit and value out are the two things that we really strive for with our placements. I love that. And I think it's so crucial for um, that I was going to say is that, that your work revol- revolves around your life versus your life yeah. revolving around your work. So hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's the goal, right? Yes. So, okay. So now tell me, Hannah, what's your ambitious goal? Yeah. So right now, um, our horizon is for my husband to be able to retire, which is very exciting because he's 42. And so, um, he is, I mean, I call it retirement. He calls it financial independence because he wants to keep working. Um, but it would be amazing if he had the opportunity to be a full-time artist. That's That would be our goal. So um, there's no specific timeline on that, um, but that's kind of our next ambition. And with that, being able to support him, um, you know, I started my business to help pay for daycare costs of my kids, basically, um, because that was a huge added expense. I had two kids really close together and it was a huge added expense that we hadn't really anticipated. So I also have a day job um, that I work full time and then started my business to help facilitate our lifestyle. And um, yeah, then we just made like a couple of kind of big money moves. And like my husband being able to um, be an artist is a a dream of ours. It's becoming more of a reality. And then I would love to one day have the financial security to be self-employed. But I really struggle with that, honestly, going back to that scarcity mindset, because I am very hesitant about the idea of leaving a paycheck um, and leaving that security and leaving that stability for being fully employed unless I wasn't fully reliant on that self-employment. So if it was something like I knew I could pay my bills and I knew that I could afford our lifestyle, but to run my business would be an added bonus, that's the situation I'd like to have. I'd like to have that level of financial independence before I go out and um, you know, give up that financial security. I've got young kids, you know, I've got many years of expenses I'm staring down the barrel of. And so I don't want to be scrambling in a moment if I lose a big client and have to go back to work, you know? So I love the balance that I have now. I'm really grateful for it. When I think about dreaming big, yeah, I think it would be really amazing to be able to work for myself exclusively and um, to know that I have the financial security to not rely on that. That feels like such a big dream so far away. And I don't really have a clear path for how to do it, but I'm just going to keep tracking towards it. Yeah, that is an awesome goal. So to uh, have the financial security to 
and to start your own, be self-employed, to be fully self-employed. Fully self-employed. Yes. Yes. And so that your husband, he can do his, is he, he's already on his path working toward, uh, yes. Okay. Self-employment as well. Yeah. So so he's on his path. Yeah. mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I think it looks like just a mix of different things. I think it looks like reducing our expenses. It looks like increasing our income. Um, it looks like, um, you know, we've made a couple of moves in real estate that have been really fundamental to that journey for us. Um, I started my business, which is something that I never thought would be, have the level of success that it has. And the, you know, it's not even been two years since I started, it's been like a year and a half now. So that's been really exciting. It's been a huge boost in confidence. Um, you know, when we first started learning about the concept of financial independence, it was coming from this place of huge privilege where we're like, we didn't have a lot of debt. We had between, we've been together 10 years now. We've never financed a car. We've never bought anything with a credit card that we couldn't pay off almost immediately. Um, And like, honestly, when we bought our first house, it kept me up at night for months knowing that I owed anyone any money on it. I've gotten a little more used to the idea of a mortgage now, especially the last house we bought having such low interest rates. That makes it a lot more attractive. Um, but yeah, we've just tried to always live within our means. Um, but like I said, that huge leg up starting with a place of privilege that we did, which is we didn't come into our relationship with, um, any debt. And that was huge. That is huge. That is, that is really, um, that's really a great starting point. I mean, so many people don't, you know, we, they get off track early, uh, into debt. So that is amazing that you guys, um, you, you seem pretty financially savvy over there. <laughs> with well, it's, it's, be, it's being savvy, but it's also like, it's also just like straight up privilege. Like I didn't pay for my college degree. I didn't pay for my master's. My husband didn't pay for his college degree. Like we had the uh, means from our upbringing to have that leg up that I look at people who are dealing with this loan forgiveness issue now. And like, they're struggling to figure out, can I stay in this job for two more years to qualify for this? Like, am I going to qualify for this? This is great, but it's putting such a tiny debt in this tens of thousands of dollars that I have. And my heart goes out to them. I feel like I just, you know, was so insanely privileged and fortunate to not have student debt the way that so many of my peers do. And I know that that really impacts people's decisions. You know, they say it's good debt, but it's still a tough one, man. When you're making payments on it every month, like that is just not a fun one. Well, I think that... um expression good debt may be um subjective <laughs> yeah well okay so i guess like good debt like it's like you it was like an investment i think that's what i meant by good debt like it was an investment in yourself but yeah no debt is good debt <laughs> well i you know like i said it's subjective you know if yeah, you feel like totally. it was worth it then okay then you know because you're the one that has that have has to pay it so yeah. if you feel like it was worth it then and it's benefiting you, then, you know, maybe you think it's a good thing, but you yeah, think it's a good totally. thing. But if, you know, if you're miserable or if it's causing you, you know, a lot, you know, sometimes that has a lot of implications later in life when you're ready totally. to buy a house or, you know, um, you know, get a car or, you know, start a business, things that you want to do, you know, if that is hanging over you, that could, yeah. you know, hinder you. So yes. it's, it's yeah, very, the term good debt is subjective. <laughs> no, you're totally right. You are totally right. <laughs> so do you believe that you need like a certain um, amount of money in the bank before you would feel confident enough to uh, take that leap? 
Um, that's a good question. This is something I feel like I've never been able to get a good good answer on because the numbers vary so widely. But I, you know, I've done those retirement calculators like a million times, and I think what I really struggle with is, you know, they say like with the four percent rule, you need a million dollars to be able to pull down forty percent, forty thousand a year. Um, and so what I really struggle with is like one, I have young kids now, and I don't know what the expenses of my lifestyle are going to be without them in 20 years, but also, um, you know, something that's hard to kind of calculate for, like, it's very expensive having children in daycare right now. But um, I also hear that kids activities are expensive. And maybe we'll have to buy a second car because the kids will be doing things in different directions because I have two of them. And I don't know, you know, I get all their clothes used. So that's not expensive. Like, honestly, the people say kids are expensive, but the, the expensive stuff has been daycare, like all this stuff has been easy to come by. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the daycare. So it's hard for me one to envision what our lifestyle would really cost, but it's also, especially with inflation recently, feels very tricky to make predictions based on what things will cost in the future. So again, that scarcity mindset, like I feel very hesitant to say, yeah, I can retire on $80,000 a year because $80,000 a year might mean something totally different in 20 years. So that makes me super nervous when I think about it. So I think I'm just kind of like applying my usual flawed logic, which is I'm just going to work as hard as I can and put away as much money as I can. I think if I had a more specific plan, it would be way more helpful. Um, so yeah, no, I don't have a specific number in uh, mind, but I do have a financial planner and she threw some numbers around and it, it all just felt like Greek to me. It just felt like, how am I supposed to know what the world's going to cost in 20 years? Um, and you know, do I want to work a little longer to have a little bit more financial security? I think that's a little bit more of a game time decision. That's something I'm going to have to make a decision I'm going to have to make closer to the time. I'd love to retire in my 50s. But if the difference between retiring at 50 and 55 is going to mean like, you know, a big difference in my day to day lifestyle for the next 30 years, I would probably think really hard about that decision. Okay. So you have a financial planner and they've thrown some numbers out at you, but you said it's just like, it's, just Greek. It's like those numbers are, they're too abstract. They don't mean anything. They're right? too abstract. So I think the challenge is that, um, you know, like I can, I can talk with her, you know, the idea of my husband having financial independence relies on me still working and that's fine. You know, that's what we've talked about. Um, but, um, I, for instance, asked her, what would it look like if we wanted to retire with this much at my in the bank. And then she ran a Monte Carlo, which is like a risk assessment. And she said, here's your probability of being able to meet that goal in 10 years. And here's your probability of being able to meet that goal um, if this other factor changes. And I was like, I just need you to tell me how long I need to work. I just need you to give me a date on the calendar or a mon- you know, amount of money in the bank. Just give me a number that I can work towards. Because what they were essentially doing is like a risk assessment that relied on me giving her a number of what I wanted it feels very abstract. It feels very overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. So um, I think we're just trying to make wise money moves now. And we're trying to build, you know, as much wealth as we can through real estate and um, trying to build up, you know, the side hustle of the business. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate to have a job that I really love. And so keeping our expenses down and our income high is just kind of where we're at right now. It'd be nice to have something a little more specific, like, you know, a little bit more of like a chart you could look at, you know, going up, but that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can, I can understand that it, it's very, um, you know, abstract, especially when you don't actually have a plan, 
but you don't really have, you said you don't even have, you don't really have a timeline either yeah. about yeah. when. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love, I'd love to retire in my fifties. That would be amazing. Um, and if it could happen sooner, that would be even better. Um, and you know, we've got some houses that we own right now and it, that's part of the factor. Do we want to sell those now? There's some certain tax implications that come from selling when there's capital gains exemptions versus holding on to them as rental properties for decades and decades. It would be really cool to live in a house if we didn't have a payment on. I mean, that would be an amazing goal. I would love that one day. Um, so I think that those are kind of the buckets that we're trying to fill right now. And I would love to, um, you know, so right now my husband, basically, he could retire. And as long as he doesn't spend any of his retirement for several years, and we keep it invested, and we keep, you know, as long as as long as that happens, like he's basically like coast by like, he doesn't need to keep adding to his retirement account for it to be able to take care of him, but he can't draw off of it yet. That's the tricky part. So it's a balance there. Um, and we need to figure out like what's the best way to leverage that money from the sale of a house so that it gives us the most financial security going forward. And maybe it's buy a house cash. Maybe it's, um, you know, buy a couple houses with down payments. Maybe it's just put it in the stock market and let it do its thing. And um, yeah, a couple things to figure out there. Maybe it's start a business with it. I don't know. Yeah. So with that... Um goal of uh, self-employment. You feel like you need to be completely financially independent before you um, reach that, before you, I know you, you want some security, but do you feel like you, what, what does financial independence exactly mean to you? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's the ability to take risks without severe consequences. I think that's what it means for me. So like I would, Maybe I'll feel differently when I'm older. Maybe I'll feel differently when I'm in a different season of my life. But um, I think just especially having young kids and especially the idea of my husband not working soon as the sole breadwinner, I feel very risk averse and I feel very hesitant to like take a big leap or take a big gamble. That's just how I've always been very conservative um, when it comes to risk. But now that I have more factors and more people who are relying on me, um, then I am more risk averse. And I just applaud small business owners, especially once you went through COVID and have brick and mortar businesses. And that just seems like it would be such an amazing challenge and victory, but also the weight of that I feel like would be punishing to me. So like one of my retirement project ideas is I would love to have a coffee shop. I think that would be so fun, but I don't want to worry about being able to pay my mortgage or being able to buy groceries if I don't sell enough coffee that month. That's what financial independence means to me. I think it would be amazing to have a flower farm, a coffee shop, to be able to do all kinds of business ideas that I have, but to be able to do them from a place of financial security is really important to me so that I know that, okay, this is the little bit of money I'm going to gamble on. I'm going to go and work really hard try to build this coffee shop. But I know that if it folds, if COVID happens, like, right, there comes in like the memory of trauma. Um, If COVID were to happen, I watched so many small business owners lose everything during the pandemic. And um, that's something that just makes me very, very nervous to take on that level of risk. Of course, of course. Um, Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, you know, we, we certainly want to make sure that we're uh, making smart, that we're being smart with money, you know, in all things. So what do you feel like you would need to feel more secure to go after your goal? Um, let's see. I think that, oh gosh, I don't know. That's such a good question. I don't think I've ever asked myself that or really thought about that. What would I need to feel more secure and to be able to go after my goal? I think I'd want to have like 
Um, I don't know. This is tricky. I'd probably want to have a few million dollars invested or in net worth um, to know that I could draw off of for living expenses before I took a big leap like that. But you know, the world has a funny way of punishing you when you say stuff like that out loud. So maybe I'll take the leap sooner. <laughs> maybe an opportunity will come up. The, fun, the world has a funny way of rewarding you for things too. Maybe something will come up sooner that I want to take a big leap on. But I think that's what I think about. I think about like wanting to have enough money that I can draw off of for day-to-day living expenses before I take a big leap. And that would probably be with the 4% rule. I mean, it would be probably... I don't know, at least 2 million, you know, ready from retirement accounts. Um, so I think, and and then, you know, with real estate added in there too, I think that's probably what it would look like. Okay, great. So what would it mean to you uh, to actually be self-employed and to get to the point where, to where you're, you and your hu- husband are both self-employed and, and you're running your own business and he's doing his glass blowing and, things like that. So what would that I don't mean? Know. Yeah, hopefully he'll be a world famous glass blower and I can retire like in a year. Um, I don't know. I think it would be amazing to be able to travel more. We would love to do that. Um, we really value the home that we live in and where we live and the space that we occupy. And so we love the city that we live in. We just moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, and that's been amazing. Um, I don't feel like we really want for anything in our daily life. I feel very comfortable and really grateful for that. Like I said, I'm not a big spender. I don't have any like Every once in a while, we'll play a game like, what do we do if we were zillionaires? And, you know, it's really like we would pay somebody to come in and do that like 30 minutes of cleanup after dinner and after breakfast when the house feels like a tornado because I have two toddlers. Like that would be the most amazing thing. Like if I could pay somebody to just like not to pick up my groceries, but to like make me never have to think about groceries ever again. That would be amazing, right? I don't need a chef. I don't need Instacart. I need like somebody who can just do that. But that's me right now because I'm too cheap to pay somebody to do that for me. <laughs> well, that's even, like, yeah, even if I was loaded, I don't think I would do that. I think I would be like, nah, I'll spend the money on traveling. Like, I think that sounds more fun. Like, I'd rather live a lighter life. And I am, you know, joke with my husband that like the day our kids leave for college, we're going to go backpacking through Europe just so we have something to look forward to. But I'm not dreaming of yachts over here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, that's go. That's perfectly fine because that's what matters to you. And that's what we all have to, it, it, who cares about a yacht? That's only important yeah. to somebody who cares about a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about a yacht, Yeah, you know? So, um, you know, so it's just about doing the things that you value and that make you happy and bring you joy. So what do you think you could do more of to get to that place? Um, let's see. That's a good question. Um, I think that working on my scarcity mindset, being present in the moment, enjoying time with my family and prioritizing that over anything and everything. Um, and I'd love to work on my side hustles more. I've been like building out this, um, spreadsheet business. I'm selling spreadsheets that facilitate, um, good, like project management spreadsheets, like, uh, you know, Gantt charts and budget estimating and things like that. Um, that would be really cool to build those out um, and like build up some more of that passive income, but something that's related to my brand and the services and what I do. Um, I want to be really supportive of my husband as he makes this move to be an artist and figure out how to help him be successful in that and have a good work-life balance. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of what we're doing. I think like being able to pursue the leisure activities that I enjoy is like, I already feel very grateful to be able to fit that into a very, very full day. Like 
being able to go to the gym, being able to have amazing conversations and listen to and make podcasts. Those are all like things that I don't take for granted that are wonderful uses of my time. So um, yeah, sometimes it just um, feels like I'm living it right now. And I'm really grateful for that. I don't want to push it off to tomorrow. I don't want to always be working towards like the someday. I want to be able to enjoy every moment between now and then. And you know, the someday may never come. So you got to, you got to have happiness now too. Well, that's so important. And that's one of the reasons why I created this podcast, because I wanted to talk to women who have ambitious goals, like you, you want self-employment, financial independence for your husband to be self-employed, but you're actually doing things actively to chase that dream or to fulfill that your purpose without having fully accomplished that yet. And so we get to hear what you're struggling with or what you're going through and what actions you're going to take. So now I'm going to ask you, so what actions are you taking to help you achieve that ambitious goal? I know you said you, you, you're kind of doing like the, um, trying to find passive income, ways to bring in passive income. Um, and you have some spreadsheets that you're, you're selling, uh, anything else, any specific actions that you're doing to get you to this uh, financial independence? Um, yeah, well, we just sold a house. We're selling another house now um, and looking at buying other houses that could be rental properties. You know, that's definitely in the near-term goal list. Um, other things, um, I, I'm a big planner, you know, I'm all about, I'm a project manager. I'm all about, um, project planning. So I've got a Gantt chart listing out like kind of our goals over the next five years and trying to figure out basically like how much life is going to cost us while my kids are still in daycare, which is very expensive. Um, and having aggressive, we have aggressive saving goals. We have HSAs. Like we try to like max out any tax optimization. I'd love to fine tune that a little bit. I'd love to get into like the solo 401k and the self-employed IRA. I don't know anything about those. So I'd love to dig into tax optimization a little bit more because that makes a huge difference down the road. Um, I've already learned a ton from other women. I'm a part of this Facebook group called financial independence, retire early women on fire. It's the bomb. Um, I've just learned so much. I've been so inspired by the people in that group um, and the stories that they share. So I think like some key takeaways, like especially as women, it's important to talk about money. It's important to have transparency and to lift the veil around that, whether it's salaries or whether it's how you spend your money or how you save your money. Um, that's where I've really learned so much is from peers sharing their stories. And um, I don't know what the financial value of that is, but it's probably huge at this point, um, just from anecdotes that I've learned from people sharing their stories. Um, for example, my husband and I aren't married because it's more expensive for us to be uh, married than it is to be unmarried. And so every year I run the calculator to see which costs us more should we get married. And we always say we'll get married if we need to financially for tax reasons. So yeah, I think those are the things that I'm working towards. Um, And I think that designing the life that we want to live and feeling like we are living it is really such a beautiful goal. I don't want to be just planning for something that's so ethereal and vague when I want to be able to have some tangible enjoyment of that now. It would be fun to be able to travel more, but the cramp right now on that isn't money. It's the fact that I have two toddlers with very tight nap schedules. So (laughs) that's something I'm really looking forward to as a goal in the next year. So just to travel more with them. That's awesome. So it sounds like you're feeling, you're pretty happy with your uh, situation. You're not like in a situation where you are, you know, 
miserable with your job or miserable with your, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that you, you, you seem like you don't really have a, um, you said by your early fifties, you, you'd like to yeah. be able to retire. So I guess that's, a, I mean, that's a, that is a timeline, but, um, right now you're, you seem like you're pretty good with the way things are going. You're not like really, um, trying to get there any faster. If you, if it took you 20 years to get there, would you be okay with that? I think so. I mean, that's kind of a big question. Um, I think that I set my number at 20 years because even though it feels like a long time ago, it would feel like a win to retire earlier than, you know, your quote unquote should. If that could, if I could accelerate that timeline, yeah, that would be awesome. I would absolutely love that. But like I said, I've got to focus on some near term goals right now, which is keeping my kids in school and helping my husband retire. A lot of things are going to happen between now and then that are going to decide what my fate's going to be as far as working. But I enjoy my job. I enjoy my business. I feel really grateful for that. Um, and so, you know, I'm not looking to make any big moves right now, but I think we'll see. I love the challenge. I love new ideas coming at me. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll start another another side hustle. We'll see. Well, that's awesome. But it, it sounds like at least you're in a good place. You don't feel like you're in, um, you don't necessarily feel stuck, right? Yeah, no, I'm very grateful for that, for sure. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's great. So what advice do you have for women out there who may have uh, an ambitious goal? You know, maybe they want to be self-employed and maybe they are, you know, are feeling stuck. What would you say to them? I think that... Shopping your ideas around with your network, talking with your peers about ideas that you have, whether they're personal or professional, is so great for building community and for workshopping ideas. If you have a business idea, if you have an idea of how you could manage your money differently, just having those conversations with people is so important. And a lot of those conversations happen on the the internet these days, and that's fine too. So um, it's actually I one of the things I love doing when I make a new friend is to ask them how much money they make. And it's really a funny question. I've only done it a couple of times and I don't do it right away. But I always say, hey, I'm curious, how much money do you make? Let me tell, start by telling you how much I make. And then we talk about it. And it's so fun um, because it just like it opens that door up to have deeper conversations. And I've learned so much by people kind of like peeling that back, uh, that lens back in their life. Um, you know, I think general advice for women with money is like have your own money, have a secret account. Um, you know, make sure your name is on everything that you're not paying on a mortgage. You're not listed on the deed of, I see so many stories of women who don't have even access to basic like financial, um, assets. And that's really scary. It's a scary place to be because it means that you can't do things like leave when a situation gets bad, take care of yourself when a situation changes dramatically. And everybody thinks it won't happen to them. Every single person thinks it won't happen to them. But whether it's a natural disaster that takes away the breadwinner of your family, or whether it's a changing dynamic in your relationship, or an illness that nobody could have predicted, like, like you said, you know, having um, financial stability, and financial independence gives you so many more options. And so that's something that's like a gift you can give to yourself and that you can give to your kids is just knowing that you have options. And those options might be luxurious. They might not be, but just having options is so, so critical. Knowing you could get up and walk away from your situation in the middle of the night because you have money in the bank, like absolutely every woman should have access to that. And if they don't, that should be a huge, huge number one goal. I always try to tell people that like, have your own money, have your own bank account, have your own car, put your name on the house, like no matter what the situation is. That's the whole message behind uh, 
financial independence is having options. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what, that's what it gives you, you know, the, you know, the more, you know, and, and you're so right. It, I, it's so important to have, you know, you can have joint, I advise anybody, you know, you can have a joint uh, account where your household expenses come from, but definitely both partners, I think should have their own separate yep. account. So that way, you know, you're not accountable to anyone else for your, for everything that you want to spend on, you know, you, there are yeah. things that you want to do, or, you know, you want to save whatever you want to do with that money. You want to keep it to the side. Yep. You want to have it, you know, waiting there for you if you need it, you know, in, 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 yeah. in the case but that, that is so crucial. Good advice for people who may be uh, stuck for a various amount of reasons, you know, like, you know, so I really, that was really great. So well, well, tell us, Hannah, where can people find you? Yep. So I have a website. It's called HeronWorksLLC.com. It's H-E-R-O-N-W-O-R-K-S-L-L-C.com. And you can find my business there and you can get in touch with me through a contact us form. I also have a podcast that's all about financial literacy and empowerment and it's called Ways to Means. And we're on Facebook and on Instagram. So check us out. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and it's super fun. And it's nice to meet other podcasters too, because we get to have conversations like this. Yes. Well, that is awesome. And I hope people definitely go and check you out and see what you're talking about over there. So thank you so much, Hannah. This has been so awesome for sharing your story with us and your great advice. And I'm sure this is going to inspire so many ambitious women out there to actually, you know, have some actions that they can take to hopefully start to achieve their goals or at least start chasing them. So thank you for being here. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. And thank you for doing what you're doing with your business, with coaching and with your podcast and just sharing these stories, bringing these issues to light and like leading by example. I think that's so cool. And what you mentioned earlier about not having examples of people living debt-free, now you're a living example for all the people in your community, in your family, with your audience, on social media, like anybody who knows what you're doing, like they're going to know right away that this is awesome. And I really appreciate that and applaud it because we need people that we see that can reflect our own hopes and dreams and our own goals and tell us that like, hey, this actually is possible because if you don't see it, then you're never going to imagine yourself doing it. You know, you've got to be able to see other people who are breaking through those glass ceilings and paving the way and, um, and and talking about it and talking about how they did it. That's really important. So thank you. Thank you for that, Hannah. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women with Ambition, Making Money, Seeking Freedom and Chasing Dreams podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to hear more, then be sure to do these three things. First, hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified each time a new episode drops. You can also visit us on the website extravagantlybroke.com slash podcast and subscribe to our email newsletter for all the latest Women With Ambition information. Second, share this episode with your family and friends because sharing is caring and we can all help elevate each other. Third, don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player so that we can continue to bring you more amazing stories from ambitious women just like you. So that's all for now. 
And thank you for allowing us to inspire you as you pursue your ambitious goals of making money, seeking freedom, and chasing dreams.